Welcome to Australia's Future with Tony Abbott. I'm Daniel Wilde from the Institute of Public Affairs. Australia is facing its most significant challenges since World War II. Geopolitical tensions are increasing. Cultural self-confidence is in decline. The values which define us, freedom, democracy, egalitarianism and sacrifice are being put to the test. Over this special podcast series, Tony and I discuss how Australia can survive and flourish in the decades ahead. G'day Tony and hello to all of our listeners. It's wonderful to be with you for another episode of Australia's Future with Tony Abbott. Today Tony and I are going to chat about two big issues facing Australia's future. The first is the divisive move by Greens leader Adam Bant to remove the Australian flag from a press conference he gave on Monday in Sydney and to instead stand in front of only the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander flags. Tony will share his insights on what this means. The second is on the escalating crisis in Australia's energy system, uh, with new research out today from the Institute of Public Affairs identifying a policy of net zero will close at least six more large coal-fired power stations by the year 2030, causing electricity prices to more than double for families and quadruple for businesses. Uh, Tony, uh, first to Adam Bant's refusal to stand in front of the uh, Australian flag. He's been rightly, in my opinion, criticised for that. What is your take on the episode? I think it's uh, more than passing strange that someone who was elected to our parliament, who swore allegiance to our country or at least affirmed his allegiance to our country uh, as a member of the parliament, uh, who sits in a parliament uh, under the Australian flag, should show such disrespect to our foremost national symbol. I've got to say, though, that he's not alone. We've had even more extreme statements over the last 24 hours from one of his Greens colleagues, uh, Senator Lydia Thorpe. And unfortunately, what we're seeing from Bant and Thorpe is simply a more extreme version of this Invasion Day mindset which is increasingly prevalent in so many institutions from our schools to our parliaments. And the difficulty is that too many of us, decent Australians, uh, have been too accommodating towards ideas which are fundamentally wrong. We do not want to see separatism in our country. Uh, We are not in any way, uh, a country that should be ashamed of its past. Sure, it's got its blemishes. No country's past is absolutely unblemished, but this is a country which has far more to be proud of than to be embarrassed about. It's a country which has a great record. It's a country which was founded on the best ideals of the Enlightenment, It was the British government that instructed Governor Philip to live in amity with the native peoples. It was Governor Philip who said uh, that there could be no slavery in a free land. Uh, It was the colonial courts that first hanged whitefellas for the murder of blacks uh, back in the 1830s. Uh, There's been no legal discrimination in this country against people on the grounds of race or sex or gender for many, many, many years now. Minorities have never had a better deal in this country and yet we've got this nonsense from Lydia Thorpe about it being a colonial parliament. We even saw her uh, last night on TV more or less suggesting that she'd um, 
come into the parliament as a kind of infiltrator hmm. uh, and that she'd uh, sneakily uh, sworn allegiance to the monarch and she'd sneakily uh, subscribed to uh, some kind of respect for the parliament uh, to infiltrate it almost as if she wanted to overthrow it. And just on that, we've seen um, uh, NT uh, Senator Jacinta Price uh, have some comments about that, suggesting that, that the Governor General might be uh, might be well placed to stand in and, and do something about that. I know it's a bit of politicking, but what do you reckon of that idea? Look, um, I, I'm not saying that she should be turfed out of the Parliament. I'm just saying that she should uh, have a, a rethink mm. and she should learn a bit of respect. Now, uh, she's entitled to think that we could do better. Uh, she's entitled to think that... Uh, some things about our country might change. I'd probably disagree with her on all of that, but nevertheless, uh, I don't believe uh, that wanting change should in any way disqualify you from being in the parliament, even fundamental change. But in the end, you've got to respect what is. I think it was uh, uh, Darren Hinch, not someone who I normally agree with, but he made the point that... uh, he would like to see a different flag. This was in respect of the ban comments. He said he would like to see a different flag, but while the flag is what it is, it is our national flag. It's the flag of all of us, not just the flag of some of us, and uh, it should be treated with respect, as should our parliament. Look, I completely agree. On the flag issue, I find it interesting because I've got to be honest in saying I've always found it a bit uncomfortable when politicians give press conferences with three flags behind them. I understand the idea of wanting to be inclusive to Indigenous and, and Torres Strait Islanders, and we always need to be sensitive toward that. But, I mean, you make the key point that the Australian flag is the flag for everybody, and it's not just a flag. It embodies our values of freedom, democracy, mm-hmm. egalitarianism, which mm-hmm. are for the betterment of everybody, regardless of their racial background. But one nation can only have one sovereignty, can only have one flag. I, I've always found it concerning when when we have multiple flags at these kind of events. What do you think? Uh, Dan, I I agree with you. Um, I'm all in favour of doing everything we can to be inclusive and I'm all in favour of trying to ensure that Indigenous people feel fully recognised in our country. After all, uh, uh, they were the first Australians and um, that gives them, I think, a, a special place. But it doesn't give them special rights. And unfortunately, so often, listening to people like Lydia Thorpe, you think that the aim here is not equality, it's separatism. The aim here is not uh, equal rights, it's preferencing one group of people over another uh, based on their race. Now, I, I don't like anything that suggests that there is a kind of equality between the Indigenous flags and the national flag. Mm. Uh, it's perfectly reasonable to fly the Indigenous flag um, on government buildings or prominent landmarks uh, along with the national flag, say, during NAIDOC week or something like that, some some uh, Indigenous commemoration. But in the end, the national flag is the flag of all of us. The Indigenous flag for all the honour that we should give it is the flag of some of us. Uh, and there's only one flag uh, that is the flag of every single Australian, Indigenous, non-Indigenous, um, first fleeter or yesterday's immigrant, 
and that's the Australian national flag, which has flown proudly uh, over our country for 120 years. Uh, it's the flag uh, that the Anzacs went ashore mm, under. Mm. Uh, it's the flag that uh, Australian soldiers have been buried under. Uh, it's a flag of the Christian crosses. Mm. It's a flag of the Southern Cross. I think it's a marvellously evocative symbol of our heritage, our values, our past, our future, and it certainly should be respected. And personally, I never want to see it changed. Mm. I'd like to briefly turn to a, an article written today by uh, Tim Smith, a Liberal member for Q and the Victorian State mm-hmm. Parliament and the Herald Sun, and it touches on a lot of the issues that you and I are talking about. Now, Tim is, is specifically interested in, in the issue of a proposed treaty between the uh, Victorian state government and um, Indigenous Australians. But he makes a number of important points here, and I just want to quote to you a couple of passages and get your reaction to it. Um, This is Tim Smith in in his article today. The statement, always was, always will be, Aboriginal land is wrong, and I find it personally offensive. This land belongs to all Australians, black and white alike, and divisive tokenism like the Andrew government's treaty further undermines Australia's unity. And this is another passage I'll read to you. Should the people of Victoria, through their government's proposed treaty, be held responsible for the crimes of individuals 190 years ago, given that at the last census, close to 50% of Victorians were either born overseas or have a parent who was born overseas? End quote. Uh, Tony, what do you make of Tim's analysis and observations? I think it was uh, uh, a very fine piece. And it was based, as I understand it, on a pretty strong speech in the Parliament uh, yesterday. And I understand that Tim was the only voice in the Victorian Parliament uh, uh, to dissent from support for a treaty. Now, uh, I just think it's ludicrous, this idea that a country can make a treaty or a state can make a treaty Hmm. with a segment of its own population. Treaties are what countries make with each other. I'm not sure that a state can make a treaty with anyone, Hmm. uh, but certainly it's absurd to think that a state can or should make a treaty with a section of its own own people. So, look, this is politically correct posturing at its worst. Hmm. It's divisive. uh, It's it's legally suspect. uh, It's expensive. uh, It's going to pander to uh, a whole series of historical, um, I think, exaggerations. Yes, there were certainly difficulties. Uh, uh, There were atrocities uh, committed in the course of settlement. No doubt about that. Uh, But this idea that Australia is based on some kind of massive act of genocide is simply false. It's simply false. It's a dangerous idea that shouldn't be peddled. Uh, It's a, a historical fiction. And good on Tim Smith for making all of that clear Uh, in his speech yesterday, and frankly, it's pretty disappointing that there weren't more liberal voices uh, along with his. Now, um, I find it jarring as well uh, when people stand up at events and say that Place X uh, always was, always will be uh, the land of the Wiradjuri uh, or the land of the Noongar or the land of the Walpiri or whatever. Um, Yes, Let's respect uh, the, enri- the original inhabitants. But there's been a lot of water under the bridge since then. Mm. And 
the land belongs to all of us, all of us, equally. Mm. It doesn't belong specially to some. It belongs equally to all. So good on Tim for calling out all of this. It's a real pity he's leaving the parliament. Um, I can understand why he felt the need to stand down from the front bench, but I don't believe he should be leaving the parliament and he's going to be a considerable loss. I think he will be. I mean, he, he was also, in addition to this issue, outspoken on, on the lockdowns mm. um, in Victoria in 2020 and 2021 when so few of his colleagues were. So certainly a, a voice uh, that will be missed. Um, just also on Tim's uh, column, he uh, uses one of your um, assessments, and we were just chatting about this uh, just off air a moment ago, and uh, he quotes you when um, he argues, you rightly describe uh, Australia uh, as a country with, uh, and this is your quote, Indigenous heritage, a British foundation and a multicultural character, end quote. Um, we were just chatting before and you said you've you've slightly augmented that. Um, do you want to explain what you what you think? Yeah, it's, it's evolved a bit. Uh, that was a phrase I first used uh, when I was Prime Minister, I think. And, and I thought then that that was a pretty good description of the reality of modern Australia, uh, a country with... Uh, an Indigenous heritage, a British foundation. And I now prefer to say an immigrant character because while I absolutely accept the reality of Australia as a multicultural society, um, we are a multicultural society because of our immigrants. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's not confuse things by adding a concept that can easily become an ideology. Mm. That's why I would say today that we are a country with... Uh, an Indigenous heritage, a British foundation and an immigrant character. And frankly, if we were going to recognise Indigenous people in the Constitution, that's how I would do it. Mm. I would insert in the preamble that we are one, that uh, we are humbly relying on the blessings of Almighty God, we are one indivisible federal commonwealth under the crown, quote, with mm. an Indigenous heritage, a British foundation and an immigrant character. Because it's true, I don't think even the most activist court could make anything of it in terms of playing games with the legislation that comes out of the parliament, uh, interfering with the, the ordinary decisions of government, um, and there's something in it for everyone. Um, how much weight you want to put on the Indigenous heritage or the British Foundation or the immigrant character is up to you, but there is no doubt there are those three important elements in modern Australia mm. and we should appropriately honour all of them. That's a good way of thinking about it. I just want to, I guess, just follow that up with a, another observation and get your thoughts on that because as you, as you sort of allude to, Australia being a multicultural country is a statement of undeniable fact mm -hmm. but there's a difference between that and having ism which is a, a sort of an ideological and government-imposed uh, immigration concept and it's interesting how things have changed over the years. It was in the late 40s with Arthur Caldwell where the concept of new Australians um, was developed. And the idea there was twofold. One is that new migrants to Australia were encouraged to first and foremost see themselves as Australians, uh, not meaning that they have to leave behind their culture, but you are an Australian and uh, everything that that entails. But just as importantly, uh, for existing Australians to see new migrants as their equals, as mm -hmm. Australians side by side, whereas I think the ideology of multiculturalism tends to be more divisive and to encourage 
separatism. Um, so I think there was a lot to that, that Arthur Caldwell uh, concept of migration. What's your assessment? I, I think you're right. Look, uh, there was, if you like, a benign multiculturalism, mm. which uh, was that uh, migrants should um, become Australian in their own way, uh, in their own time, at their own pace, and a kind of less innocent multiculturalism, which, to use Geoffrey Blaney's phrase, saw Australia as essentially a nation of different tribes, mm. a patchwork quilt of people of different ethnicities who didn't need much to mingle. And so, so look, I was relaxed enough about um, the benign version of multiculturalism, uh, but I think often enough uh, when it found its way uh, into the wrong hands, as it were, it became a, a form of separatism. That's why certainly uh, I'd prefer just to talk about the fact that we are very much a multicultural society. Uh, but when it comes to official documents, I'd prefer to say that we have an immigrant character. Mm. No, I think we'll leave that part of the discussion there, uh, Tony, and I'm sure we'll be returning to elements of it over the coming weeks and months. And I'd like to move on to our second topic in the time that we have left, which is uh, on the evolving crisis in our energy system. Now, you and I are here talking on the 23rd of June in Melbourne. Uh, we're not doing too bad here in the Value My studio in the IPA offices. It's a bit fresh, but it's not too bad, but it's much cooler outside. Uh, the point being that we're just a few weeks into winter. It's going to get much cooler. Uh, it's cold like it is every winter, despite what uh, climate change people might tell us. It's always a bit colder in winter. And on the very first day of winter, it was the Australian energy market operator that took the extraordinary step to say we're going to have to ration our gas supplies. We've had Australian families told to turn the heaters off and not to put their dishwashers on until 3am in the morning. We've had aluminium smelters told that they can't operate because our grid can't handle it. Tony, what's going, I mean, what is going on in 21st century Australia when this is the start of winter and we're already having this massive disruption? Can I make a general point first, Dan? Uh, as uh, you and I have sometimes discussed, uh, politics is downstream of culture. Mm. And for a long time, Young Australians, in particular, have been have been uh, enculturated into the view that we are environmental vandals and we're not really a legitimate country. And and the three uh, pervasive elements of the national curriculum: um, indigeneity, sustainability, and 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 and, and Asia have very much contributed to this, mm. uh, this idea that we're environmental vandals uh, and uh, really uh, we're, not, uh, we're not a legitimate country because uh, uh, of the dispossession of the Indigenous inhabitants. Now, now this kind of attitude drives uh, both the kind of scorn we had for the flag from people like Adam Bant and Lydia Thorpe and it also drives the emissions obsession which has been at the heart of our energy system problems. Now, let's be absolutely clear. For at least the last decade and a half, our power supply has not been managed in order to give us affordable, reliable electricity. It's been managed in order to reduce emissions. Now, again, I'm all in favour of trying to reduce emissions, but not if it means 
that our standard of living is eroded, our cost of living skyrockets, jobs are lost and industries migrate offshore. But this is what inevitably happens when you run a power system to reduce emissions as opposed to give us the best possible electricity. And that's what's been happening. Uh, so more and more renewables, unreliable renewable energy that only works when the sun's shining and the wind blows, have been coming into our system. And the reliables, good old coal in particular, but gas as well, have been demonised. Mm. And when you erode the economics of 24-7 coal-fired power, uh, when you flood the system with unreliable renewables, when the price of gas goes sky high uh, because of the war in Ukraine and we just don't have enough domestic gas mm. because of the Andrews government's bans on gas exploration and extraction and because of other governments go slows when it comes to gas approvals, mm. you, you get into this situation. Now, um, we have to accept that things are not going to improve overnight, but the only way they're going to improve at all is if we keep all the existing coal-fired power stations operational for the foreseeable future. Frankly, we should replace at least some of the coal-fired power stations with new, more efficient versions, which would give us 40% less in terms of emissions uh, than the existing older stations. We've got to uh, lift the um, sanctions against uh, gas exploration and we've got to get more gas available. Uh, first for the domestic market and second for export because other countries who don't share our um, green obsessions um, can't get enough of our gas or our coal. So, so, so this is a product of, frankly, uh, a willful blindness over many years at all levels of government. Now, as you know, uh, in 2013... The coalition won the election, promising to end Labor's emissions obsession. We repealed the carbon tax. I did my damnedest to repeal the renewable energy target. All I could do in the end was reduce it from 28% to 23%. Uh, had the Abbott government more time, we would have done more. Certainly, uh, uh, we, the other thing we need to do as a matter of urgency is remove the ban on nuclear uh, power generation in this country. If we can have nuclear power at sea, which uh, the Labor government says it supports, why can't we have nuclear power on land as well? And at current uh, uh, technology, the only emissions-free form of proven baseload power for a country like us that doesn't have massive hydro reserves is nuclear. So, look, um, keep the coal-fired stations going, uh, and, and add to them, um, allow exploration and extraction of gas, remove the ban on nuclear power. That's what we've got to do if we are to ensure that we keep the lights on. There's a lot there, uh, Tony. The first thing I'd say is you're in pretty good company in, in saying you, you reckon energy policy should be focused on reliability and affordability. We did a poll not long ago mm. and it was uh, asked Australians, what do you think the focus of energy policy should be? Should it be reliability, affordability or 
getting to net zero and 72% said reliability or affordability. And um, that's clearly something that the vast majority of Australians want the government to be uh, focused on. You also mentioned the point of, well, we send a lot of this overseas. And I, I think that's a critical point that's often forgotten because if you're concerned about global carbon emissions, it doesn't matter whether the coal is used here or whether it is exported and used in China or India or Indonesia. The effect on the environment and the climate is at a minimum the same, most likely worse under the export because you've got to transport it as well. Uh, Yet we're told that um, uh, taking away coal is going to improve the global climate, which is just patently an incorrect statement. So even the claimed benefits uh, are highly questionable and, and debatable. There are so many green snobs around uh, who will, at least for the moment, tolerate the export of gas and coal, but they won't tolerate the use of it domestically. Well, as you say, Dan, uh, if it's okay for China or India to use our gas or our coal, why isn't it okay for Australia to use gas or coal, particularly given that we'll use it under better environmental conditions than just about anywhere else will? So... So look, um, there is so much about policy at the moment which is simply wrong-headed, and again, it stems from this um, completely uh, misconceived and wrong ideology which is being peddled, uh, starting in the schoolroom and beyond, mm. uh, that says that we are a nation of environmental vandals. Uh, and cultural invaders. Well, we're not, Mm. and uh, people who should know better should stop trashing our country. Well, Tony, I was going to ask another question, but I think that's a pretty damn good place to end. So uh, I'll give you the last word on that. A fantastic place to end. Tony, a pleasure as always. Thank you for joining us and coming down to Melbourne for the chat, and I'm looking forward to our continued chats over the coming weeks and months. Me too, Dan. This is a production of the Centre for the Australian Way of Life at the Institute of Public Affairs. To find out more, visit australia.ipa.org.au.